When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Courtside Fracker. Uh, for those of you who've only recently started listening to the pod are thinking, hold on, why are they doing two pods in one week? Uh, this is what we usually do. Um, and we, we trim down to one to, to gear up and get our, our match fitness ahead of the playoffs. So now the playoffs are here. Uh, we're back to doing two pods again. Uh, today I'm joined by uh, Lakers, esteemed Lakers fan, Rick. Rick, how are you? Man, you know how I am. Not good. But it's all right. We down now, but we're we going to be up. We're going to be up. I don't know how you are. I'm asking you. How are you, brother? <laughs> Listen, I have so many things to say about certain players, the coaches, the organization. The water boy, if I figure out who the water boy is, I probably got something to say about him as well. So Cool. Good, good. Because I'm, I'm enjoying right, that. I'm in the full troll mode today, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And on the other side, we've got Greg. How are you doing, Greg? I'm, I'm tired, man. I was watching that Laker game at 3, 4 in the morning last night. <laughs> really? I What I did was um, I didn't watch it, didn't check any of my social media apps. And then when I woke up this morning at 6.30, went to watch it straight away. You watched um, the magic car, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, I'm watching it like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Uh, who, who won? And then as I saw the scoreline stretching and stretching, it became very evident what, what had happened. But um, I'm jumping the gun there. Um, let, let's do our, our usual. I have to plug the social. So if you aren't already following us on Twitter, give us a follow, Courtside Fracker. Uh, we post, yeah, just our general NBA thoughts, links to the pod, etc., etc. If you're a fan, a supporter of the pod, uh, please subscribe to the Patreon. We'll be putting exclusive content up on the Patreon in regards to the playoffs. And yeah, just giving you more of our our basketball insight and knowledge. Um, If you're somebody who is a fan of watch-alongs, then you've got to sign up to our Discord community. Rick is a member of our Discord community. We've got the courtside group chat where we talk about hoops all day. And we do have watch-alongs of the games as well. Um, so with all that being said, let's let's start with some of the news in the last few days. Um, so we've obviously got a continuation of what we discussed on uh, Sunday in terms of fans running onto the court, um, bottles being thrown at a certain Kyrie Irving. Um, then we've got a, a bombshell that dropped today, uh, Danny Ainge retiring and Brad Stevens uh, moving up to be the president of basketball operations. And something that's a bit more pertinent with the playoff discussions of uh, Joel Embiid um, with a slight torn meniscus and, and now being listed from day to day. So I'm going to come to you first, Greg, uh, and just get your thoughts on some of, some of that news. Um, yeah. L- let me know your thoughts. Yeah, man, as always uh, a jam packed uh, week in the NBA from a news perspective, um, the fans continue to while out for some strange reason. I don't know why they can't just, just contain themselves and, and be respectful. Um, Brad Stevens moving on from coach. This is something that I called on the last podcast. Uh, if you remember, I've said that. I wouldn't be surprised if something happens in regards to a trade around uh, Brown for some pieces, if they decide to go all in on Tatum, uh, or if something happens with Brad Stevens, and lo and behold, he is uh, he hasn't been fired from his coaching duty. He's been promoted, <laughs> which has caused uh, a lot of discussion on, on Twitter, online. But yeah, he's, he's been promoted to president of basketball operations. Danny Ainge has been relieved of his of his role. Um, so interesting moves there from the Celtics. And then with Embiid, yeah, it's a shame. Uh, I think he'll come back. Um, probably not for this series. I think the Sixers can can deal with deal with the Wizards uh, without Embiid. But it's going to be interesting to see what level he returns to uh, for that for that second round. Yeah. And coming across to you, uh, Rick, you seemed stunned by the Ainge news and also a bit disgusted as, as well. Um, so get your thoughts on that. Yeah, with the whole Ainge thing, one, I'm not surprised he stepped down. He's just been, like, hoarding assets for the last however many years, and all he does is just pump fix on trades, like the whole Anthony Davis thingy. The Kemba Walker trade was a disaster, so I'm not surprised he stepped down. But 
Brad Stevens has never had this job in his life. He has no experience in this field. And the reason that he decided to say he was stepping down from coaching is because he thought it was draining. So if you thought coaching the team was draining, how the fuck do you get a move up to be the president of the team? Like, what, what's going on? I don't understand the, the method behind that. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy is burnt out. Let's give him a bigger role. So whatever's happening there just doesn't really make sense. The fan thing, the fan, they just need to start banning fans for good. And this is also why I think that Malice in the Palace was a good thing for the NBA. It needs to happen again because fans, <laughs> fans, fans we have didn't this. Appreciate it at the time, people didn't appreciate it at the time. But Ron Artest is like, "Yo, as a fan, you're not gonna talk to me crazy." And that's a lot of fans like think they can get away with that. So I'm personally glad to see that, you know, the guy got arrested and whatever. And even even with the Kyrie stomping on the Lucky logo, and they're like, "Oh, like he's disrespecting the logo." Like, bro, we don't we don't care. We don't care about your logo. Like KG was out here talking about. Did you see him step on Lucky? Yo, KG is a piece like we don't have like for KG to speak on Kyrie, knowing the things that KG himself has done and said about people's mothers and people's wives. Like, we're not trying to hear that, KG. We ain't trying to hear that. And yeah, with the whole MB thing, uh, it definitely does suck, but not even trying to be mean. It's one of those things where like you look at guys like MB and Chris Paul, and it's like, yeah, these injuries suck, but this isn't it's not necessarily surprising, but this is a part of who you are. Like a knock on Embiid and Chris Paul is that I look at them and I don't know if your body can make it through the regular season and the playoffs. Like you shut down too many times. So as much as it sucks in the back of my mind, I was always wondering to myself, is Embiid going to last through these playoffs? What is his motor going to look like round to round? So, and that meniscus tear is no joke. Like Blake Griffin, when he was on the Pistons against the Bucks. He had it, and he was just like a walking corpse. Like he was just playing on not even vibes. I don't know what he was playing on, but it was bad. So, yeah, I don't. It's looking like injuries this season have been a bitch. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you say, Embiid's um, history in the NBA is littered littered with injury. He missed his first couple of years due to injury. Um, injury scuppered what looked like a, a, a MVP campaign from him and you also mentioned Chris Paul we'll, we'll get into Chris Paul and his antics um in yesterday's game so I can't disagree with you in terms of the Celtics they're a whole mess and obviously the news has come out today that um next season will be coach K's last season at Duke for those of you who aren't familiar with coach K he's a legendary college basketball coach um coach is arguably the biggest college basketball program maybe over the last half decade or so Kentucky have been bigger than them and maybe a couple others you could you could discuss but Brad Stevens has a huge reputation in basketball um he's kind of seen as this genius coach um he had a great time at Butler um and he he they may be keeping taking a look at him I know they've got um assistants who who are previous Duke players who probably are further in the line but I don't see it as being too long before Brad Stevens gets another another head coaching job um yeah he, he's that level of reputation in the game so um with all that being said let's let's get into it um I've got a Lakers fan here so it, it makes perfect sense for me to start um with you Rick so obviously we're talking about the game yesterday the massacre um it was what was it it was 115 to 85 uh pivotal game five um stats show that um a team that wins game five goes on to win 80% odd of of playoff series um and obviously with AD out people were expecting a statement game from LeBron um what happened instead was a embarrassing uh, performance from your Lakers um what were your thoughts going in and what were your thoughts as you watched it um unfold Devin Booker hitting shots from everywhere campaign having having the freedom of the court yeah let us know yeah, rub it in some more, Mariah. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to tell the listeners that I watch. Just give them a bit more context, you know? Hey, it is what it is. First thing is that um, as, as surprised I am, as, as surprised as I was at the effort, it's kind of been like this the whole season. So a lot of people are trying to compare this roster to last season and be like, oh, like the Lakers were. We took a step backwards. When in reality, I just think that the injuries and the lack of effort throughout the whole season kind of like just set in place and set in place like – our starting lineup yesterday had played zero minutes together. So Frank Vogel decided to start Marquise Morris and just Andre Drummond. 
And I looked at that back line defense and I said, please, Lord, carry them. And, you know, the Lord was on. He was he was busy. It is what it is. So the first thing that I noticed is that with AD out, there was no backline defender, no rim pressure. And Booker, Campaign, Chris Paul, they all saw that and they made it a note to drive hard to the rim. So you saw Andre Drummond, who his signing and the politics behind that signing is nasty. But yesterday he couldn't protect the rim at all. So it was layup lines and he got pulled quick. And then Marcus Saul came in. And Marcus Saul, who has basically been out in the cold, out in the cold for the last three months, comes in and it's layup lines for him too. And he's picking up fouls. So it was a whole snowball effort. And the biggest thing that made me fear going forward was that how scared the Lakers role players were. It's one th- I knew that coming to the game, Phoenix is just going to pack the paint. They had everybody in the paint. They said, listen, if you're going to beat us with jump shots, you're going to beat us with jump shots. I knew when we, when we were in trouble when the Lakers role players didn't even want to attempt the jump shots. It's one thing to miss jump shots. But when you're not attempting them, you're letting the defense off the hook in a major, major way. So Dennis Schroeder in particular. It was baffling the game. to me. And I just want to ask you a question. Sorry to interject there, Rick. Um, and I, it's, it's inspired by something you posted earlier today on Twitter, Greg, in regards to um, the LeBron the LeBron system, which is basically LeBron and everybody kind of just becomes a spot-up shooter around him. Um, but surely the period where he was out for 24, 25, 26 games, these guys should have gotten some reps and been a bit more used to... A bit more used to... Um, yeah, a bit more used to taking more shots. Like Schroeder, we've been hearing about how he's going to be getting a hundred million contract in the summer. Um, Kyle Kuzma is is no. this guy that everybody thinks. No. Well, I think he's had a solid season for Kyle Kuzma. To be fair f- to you, so while I definitely get your point, I still think that their their showing wasn't as good as it it should have been with all the context of the season that they've had. Yeah, I'll agree that like it shouldn't have been as bad as it was. But I think one thing that I've seen this season and with the Suns fan in general is that home court really did play a difference. If you look at Devin Booker, I think at home he's averaging like 28 or close to it, whereas on the road he's averaging 17. So like as opposed to last, like the home court has mattered in this game. And yeah, even Dennis Schroeder, like one, he just lost himself $100 million. Even the 84 that the Lakers offered, listen, he should have took that shit. Because at this point, listen, he might be playing with J. Cole next year. Like, it's it's looking spooky for him. To get zero points from your starting backcourt is crazy. Like, it's absolutely insane. KCP played today, and he took one shot the entire game. Like, them, them boys were shook. Like, they were shook. It was scary. Like, on the road, and Phoenix crowd was rocking. And I knew it was bad once LeBron... Like, LeBron had a – what he did in the third quarter, he needed to start doing that in the first. Like, next game, LeBron has to just say that, listen, one, he's not going to get calls when he goes into the paint. Like, that was the main thing I noticed. Like, he's driving and he's not necessarily going to get the foul calls that he once did. I don't know why, but it is what it is. And two, I think he went 6 of 10 for three today. Yes. The rest of the team went 6 of 25. So, if LeBron is leading your team in three-point shooting, and he has been this series – and he's shooting 39% for three in the series. I'm oh god, this is bad. This is this is bad. This is very, very bad. <laughs> I've 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 got a, a further question because um what I was saying on Sunday's pod is at the start of the series, we could obviously see that he's clearly not um he's clearly not over his injury yet. But what I felt we were seeing as the games were progressing was that he was getting more comfortable. He was starting to take guys off the dribble a lot more. He was going to the basket a bit more. But game five, he seemed to settle for jump shots. Again, he went back to settling for jump shots. Um, if if AD doesn't come back for game six, and I haven't checked the news, so I don't know how likely it is that he, um, he comes back or not. But if he doesn't come back for game six, is this LeBron enough to carry the Lakers to a win against what is a pretty, no. a really good Suns team? No, 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 no. No, this LeBron isn't. But I, I think LeBron can be better. Even with all the jump shots he's taking, partly it's just because if you look at that Suns defense, they have every single body, every single person in the paint. And the more, like, the Lakers players kind of don't shoot, the more they're just, like, vindicated. And it's like, okay, you're not going to shoot anyways. What am I closing out to you for? Like, they're leaving people wide open. So with LeBron, I think that in general, 
he's going to have to use a jump shot because, like, there's, they're putting everybody in the paint. That or else he's going to have to go to the high post. But in general, for LeBron to be who LeBron is, he needs to step his play up, but simply put, like, I don't care if they go over something. They need to have a certain level of confidence shooting the ball just so the defense can't just continue to sit back in the paint like that. But I, I, I honestly, a better LeBron does have to show up. Like, his body language was bad in that quarter. And he, once he, like, noticed, like, the other players were, weren't stepping up, I think that eventually next game, you can't be trying to get everybody involved like that. I, I'm looking at Dennis Jordan. I'm like, yo, I gave you your chance last game. You gave me a donut, and you're asking for $100 million? Brother, go rebound the ball because I'm putting the shot up. That's pretty much what LeBron needs to do. Like, yeah, he, he can't was, he, was, he can't play like this again. For for me, yeah, I mean, I I am of the opinion that LeBron isn't one hundred percent healthy, and I would I would almost bet that uh, when this series is over, assuming the Lakers lose this series, you're going to hear news like LeBron is playing through a X Y Z injury. Um, I mean, I've said this on Twitter, I've said this uh, offline to to certain people, but look at how LeBron is scoring in this series. So. He's not really attacking the basket in the half-court set. He'll do it maybe once every couple of quarters or whatever. Yeah. He's getting a lot of his shots in transition. Yes, we see him finish, you know, alley-oops off the backboard and, and spin dunks and so on and so forth. That That's not difficult or complicated. Like, we know LeBron is a freak of nature. You know, even when he's 50 years old, he's still going to be able to dunk and whatnot. But that's not really a, a difficult thing for LeBron to do, as amazing as it looks. So then you go to the half-court offense, where we know the Lakers have struggled all year long. And as as uh, Rick said, Phoenix are packing the paint. LeBron's not able to get those drives off. I don't think his ankle is 100%. Um, it, then you look at shooting-wise, the three isn't falling for him. The Lakers as a team did not shoot the ball well this year. They don't have the shooters around LeBron that LeBron has had previously in his career. You look at Miami, Ray Allen, Mike Miller, James Jones, Chris Bosh, Chalmers, Battier. You look at um, when he was in Cleveland the second time, you had Kyrie, Kevin Love. James Jones again, Mo Williams was there a year, J.R. Smith. So LeBron has uh, historically been a good jump shooter from three when he has ideal spacing around him. When he doesn't have the spacing around him, his, his, his quote-unquote true jump shooting potential is, is, is jump shooting ability is exposed. Um, and I'm not of the camp, I said this on Twitter, I'm not of the camp where, oh, LeBron is just bigger than everyone, he's not skilled and et uh, No, but... Times like this is when the people that do believe that start to look a little bit more right because you're not seeing LeBron post up really. When he does post up, everyone knows he's going to shoot over his right shoulder. He doesn't like to get his shoulders square to, to hit the fadeaway from like, you know, that we've seen from like Kobe and, and Jordan and stuff like that. He's not a mid-range guy. He's not going to come off screens and catch and shoot. So his scoring arsenal is quite limited. And, you know, in the past, when you think of LeBron, when he's had these big games like, Game six Boston or game one 2018 finals when he's just been hot from outside. He started hitting threes early. He started hitting threes in transition off the dribble. If that three isn't falling for him because he doesn't have the spacing or his, his three is just off, then where is the scoring coming from? And another thing is, you know, Father Time is undefeated. So if, and I don't believe this, but if LeBron is 100% healthy and this is just LeBron going through a natural decline now, then you're going to see it's a little bit harder or a lot harder for him to to get his offensively. You know, he's he scored 25 points once in this series, and that was in game four. At 24 last night and then low 20s um, in the previous games. This is his lowest scoring series in his career, in his, in his playoff career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the, and then the second point, sorry for this, for this mini rant, That's is fine. the role players <laughs> around him. So as we mentioned, like Le- LeBron has... has uh, made famous LeBron ball, which is LeBron has the ball and then you have the shooters and, and the stars around him to get to their spots. But you're now asking these guys that are essentially 3 and D players and just shooters or whatever to now come and play properly. And it's like, wait a second, that's not in my job description. <laughs> you told me to stand in the corner and, and hit corner threes. And I, this is Caruso speaking or KCP speaking or whatnot. So now you're expecting Kuzma and KCP to have 20, 25-point games in the absence of Anthony Davis and they haven't had to do that all year all year round and not even last year as well. Kuzma is someone who his scoring has pretty much been in the decline for three straight seasons. And now you're looking now Laker fans are looking at him like, well, you needed to drop 20-25 in that game. It's like, eh, it's not really my job description. Yeah. What I push back on that is that um even with the jump shot, LeBron has been shooting like almost 40% from three this season. 
or not this season, this this playoff. And even yesterday, I think he went six of ten. But I think Phoenix are just saying that okay, if LeBron is the only person hitting shots, even then, like, how does that open up the paint? Because at the end of the day, if LeBron's hitting jump shots the whole night, KCP isn't. So I'm still gonna sag off KCP's man. I think that the role players are being asked to step up. However, they're playing very, very, very below par. Like for Dennis Schroeder, like part of the biggest thing about him is that you put pressure on the rim. And he had a good season. So for him to drop like these last two games, it's like, okay. At, at a certain time, at a certain point, we're not asking like the world of you. In terms of as a Lakers fan, like for people that think Kuzma's a third star, get it through your head. He's not that guy, pal. He's not that guy. But Kuzma is someone that you should be able to rely on for, you know, like what Kuzma is good at is cutting. But his shooting is crazy. If you look at Kuzma's shooting, his shot form is different every time. You look at his legs. Very streaky. Very it's streaky. streaky. It's very streaky. But guys like KCP, KCP does not make – because he shot almost 40% this whole season, and I've never seen someone just not shoot the ball. Like one shot attempt is absolutely insane because the Lakers are shooting like 22% on like wide open threes. So with people like not even around six feet of them. And it's like you're you're passing up wide open threes, KCP. It just doesn't like I, that's the one part where I'm I'm just confused. Like I'm I don't know. Remember game one? Was crowd, it game one? Where, was it was it game one where LeBron said to him, "I want you to shoot." LeBron was like, "Bro, I want you to shoot," and he was yes, like, All right, bro. Uh, "And now he no, just stopped shooting." Game two or three, right? No, nah, it was game one. LeBron was like, "Game one." Okay. I, actually, no, I think it might have been game game two, game two. It was game two, but ever since then, KCP has just stopped shooting. And, yeah, at the end of the day, like, regardless of all this, like, oh, LeBron does need to be better. But the Lakers simply just have to make wide open looks. Like, they're going to have to. I think they I think they will in game six. But going forward, I don't think Andy Davis is playing for the rest of the series. He shouldn't, honestly, if you look at what his injury is. A groin strain is serious. And the fact that they're even calling a groin strain day-to-day, it's like, okay, it's obviously worse than it is. But I, I haven't seen a groin strain be listed as day-to-day. It's going to take at least 10, 10 days to be better, so. The Lakers yeah. really just have to play with energy. Like you can't. They were bad yesterday. You shouldn't be that bad. Like it was. It was a below average effort level performance. And like this entire time, we we haven't even spoken on the defense. The shit was a layup line. The guards were letting everyone get downhill. It was bad. So the effort and pride just has to be there from the Lakers. It looked like they were ready for Cancun. I don't think Game Six will be like that, but. Yeah, there's not many players that you'd, you'd pick over LeBron when his back is completely a go-home or win-or-go-home games. Yeah. Um, while we spent 10 minutes or so talking about the Lakers, let's take a minute to credit the Suns. Um, Devin Booker, who struggled with his shot um, after a great game one, uh, found his shot again. He started early, really, um, and I think once he got comfortable, he was making shots from all over the court. Campaign, who seems to have had a new lease of life, um, DeAndre Ayton's enjoying enjoy, enjoy life. It was 80% from the field. Um, He's looking the... like prime David Robinson right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. So, so let's, let's talk about the Suns and let's, let, let's give them some, some credit where credit's due. Um, let's start with Devin. Um, I think they go as far as Devin takes them. I think we, we, we're all in agreement on that. Um, how far do you think, let's say they do end up beating the Lakers, how far do you potentially see them, go, see them going? Well, the, the good news, the, the bad news is that Booker has struggled, I think, if you look at this series as a whole. Uh, game five, he obviously had a, had a good game. And I think game one, you mentioned he had a, a good performance. But as a whole, I think he's he's played subpar. That's the bad news. The good news is the Lakers are the number one defensive team in the, in the NBA. So if you get past the Lakers, it should be a, a little bit easier, to say the least, going forward. Um, yeah, Booker had a good game five. Uh, you know, was hitting shots from from everywhere. Um, I still think he needs to work on on dealing with with double teams and double coverage a little bit better because they really shut him down. I think it was in game three or four. Uh, he really struggled when he was just being defended, um, and especially with Chris Paul not being his 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 usual self, he's having the most impactful like nine and seven. <laughs> you know, you could ask of a player. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the Suns do going forward in that regard. Aiton has played exceptionally well, but in the next round, he's not going to be going up against, you know, Drummond and Gasol. Uh, NAD is is playing 50% of his capabilities. Um, so, yeah. 
It's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Obviously, you've got uh, Michael Bridges chipping in with buckets here and there, and good defense. You've got Cam Johnson also chipping in here and there. Um, I don't quite see a finals team in them, personally speaking. Yeah, I think uh, I see. I think I think they can make it to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, Western Conference. I mean, they, they face the winner of Nuggets and Blazers, and I would that, take that's the win. That, that has to be a win. Yeah. That's two atrocious defensive teams. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, we're going to get to that series, I think, later on in the pod. But yeah, I, I take Phoenix over over them. In which agreed. case, in the Western Conference Finals, they're going up against what Clippers, Mavs, or Jazz? Clippers yeah. or Jazz? Clippers yeah. or Jazz? I don't think they'd be either personally. Or the Mavs? Don't root out the Mavs yet. They're done. They, they had a good. But yeah, Clippers or Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on them, and I'm hoping it goes seven. To be honest with you, and I love a game seven. Um, we'll see. Um, just a quick one on Chris Paul's antics rolling around on the ground. Um, at first I didn't believe he was injured, but then when I saw him go um into the back room, I, I took him seriously. But um, yeah, do we envision that being an issue in game six? That shoulder that's been troublesome for him since game one. He needs to stop flopping. Like I'm not gonna hold you. The the worst part <laughs> is that Wesley Matthews just tried to box him out. And he made it worse for himself by trying to flop on the way down. I was like, Chris, bro, you're like, this is bad karma on your end. So he just needs to stop flopping. Yeah, if that was a five-point game, he do- he doesn't go out. He-, he stays in. When you're up 25, 30 points, you can go to the back room. And even when he was like on the ground by his bench, when he got up, he was all grinning. Like, listen, I'm a big Chris Paul fan, but some of the things he does, it's, it's, hard-, it's hard to justify. He's a really, really dirty player, man. Um, but you know, when you're when you're six foot tall, just about in a game of giants, you have to do what you you have to do what you can to survive. Um, I'm gonna go across to the Eastern Conference. Um, let's talk Hawks Knicks. Obviously, we, we touched on Julius Randle in the last episode, Greg, because uh, he won the most improved player award. Um, and we also t- <laughs> thoroughly, thoroughly disappointed. We also touched on the series that he's having. Um, nothing's changed between the conversation we had on Sunday and the and the conversation we're about to have now. And and the Hawks find themselves three uh, one up. Julius Randle seven of nineteen from the field, fifty um, percent from three, which is nice. Um, to the tune of twenty three, and that's probably been his best game this series. An inefficient twenty three, ten and seven. Um, yeah, let's talk about the Knicks. Greg, what what are your takeaways four games into this series? Are they overmatched? They are the Knicks struggled offensively in the regular season. We all know that their their uh their identity was their defense. Um they are obviously hampered defensively with no Mitchell Robinson, um, which was a big loss for them. Nerlens and Roy is is playing fifty percent. Uh, I don't think he's fully healthy. Uh, so he's providing their best uh, rim protection and in interior defense. But really the story of this of this um series from the Knicks perspective is offensively with, with Julius Randle. Like he is shooting, if I bring up the numbers, uh, 27% from the field, 33% from three, averaging 17 uh, points a game. You know, <laughs> if your number one scorer is averaging those numbers, you, you're going to find it tough to win ball games. And obviously the Knicks are 3-1 down. Uh, this is just, this is this is a stark example of the difference between the regular season and the postseason. You know, in the regular season, you get to face bad teams, you get to face, you know, the Rockets and then the Pistons and then the Magic and then the Bulls and you can average 25 to 30 for a week. But when you come to the playoffs and there's no bad teams, you know, it, it's a lot different and you you, de- you get defended a lot differently in the playoffs as well. You're seeing Julius Randle, you can literally hear uh, times when Bogdanovich and uh, Capello and Trey Young are shouting like he's going left, he's going left uh, on the microphone. So every time he catches the ball, they're forcing him right, they're packing the paint, he's not able to get to the basket uh, he's not been able to make you know mid-range outside jump shots. He's settling for fadeaways, long contested twos. Where to Josh Smith? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's <laughs> that's just a fake name. If, if if you're but, listening and you don't know who Josh Smith is, please Google him. <laughs> yeah, the, the silver lining from the Knicks' perspective has been watching uh, Derek Rose, you know, go off. Had a 30-point game in this series. He's averaging 23, uh, 51% from the field. So it's been good for us. Uh, longer times NBA, longer time NBA fans to see D Rose have a have a mini resurgence. You know, you uh, can, can almost make a grown man cry, can't it, Mariah? <laughs> but uh, honestly, honestly, <laughs> I, I want to watch him. Like he, he just might make the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> 
but honestly, it's been so impressive watching him watching him actually be the only thing that's keeping the Knicks alive. And, you know, with everything he's experienced in the league, um, for those of you, again, who, who Derek Rose is before your time, and you've only really seen this six-man version of Derek Rose, uh, in a previous life, he was uh, the youngest MVP in league history, um, led a really good Chicago Bulls team. Taj Gibson um, was part of that team as well. Uh, Tom Thibodeau was a coach, and they had a few um, good series with um, LeBron James's Miami Heat. Um, and yeah, he he unfortunately was uh, injured. He, he he tore his meniscus, tore his ACL. Uh, and where you see he's pretty athletic, he was generationally athletic um, yeah. in in his prime. And um, he was right, a player. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a player who who looked like he was set to to be a Hall of Famer. And yeah, he just lost it all in an all in an instant, really. So being able to see him um, all these years later, still being able to influence games at a playoff level. Um, may not be winning, but still being able to have a long career, um, be a vet who's able to pass on knowledge to the next generation, it's a beautiful thing to see, honestly. Yeah, but uh, that's the problem for the Knicks. You know, you're relying on your sixth man to lead the team in scoring. It's it's, it's never going to be easy. Uh, and I, and I, I speak from the perspective of a Knicks fan because I was rooting for the Knicks in this series. I had them winning in six or seven. Um, but, you know, give credit to the Hawks and Trey Young has embraced the villain role. Um, <laughs> and he's uh, you know, been silencing the critics, silencing the 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 the, the boos of MSG, uh, and has really played well in this series. Yeah, we we got to love a villain, don't don't we, Rick? And with with Trey Young, he he seems like he's he went from last season being one of the darlings of the league to this season, everybody not really liking him that much anymore. Um, so obviously Nate McMillan's come in and he's really turned the tides of this Atlanta Hawks team. But I'd like to get your thoughts on Trey as a player. Uh, and what we're seeing from him in this series. Can you repeat the last part? Yeah, sure. Um, I said I wanted to get your thoughts on Trey as a player and what we're seeing from him in this oh. series. Bro, I told people on the pod a couple of weeks ago, Trey is different. Like, not only is it the shooting, but Trey as a pastor is gifted. So you're seeing him come off. They're running a lot of Spain pick and roll, and they have the Hawks have a lot of shooters everywhere. And again, they just have a lot of more offensive options. So no matter which way Trey is going, he's he can get into the paint. He can get his floater off. He can get his three off. And he also can pass off of both hands, which is really important because whether he goes left or right, he can use his left hand to hit a corner. He can use his left hand to throw a floater. And he's also controlling the pace of the game. And the Hawks are pushing it all the time. So you're seeing Trey get the ball in transition. And the game is going just as fast as he wants it to go. And I've just been really impressed with that and the Hawks in general because the Hawks have been able to do kind of what I said in terms of they just have more people that can do more things. So you're seeing guys like DeAndre Hunter. Like they can come into the game and make a quick impact. You're seeing guys like Bogdanovich who can kind of just like be a bit of a secondary binder creator. Whereas with the Knicks, you're seeing the the Hawks are essentially able to show Julius Randle three to four bodies because like they're not worried about Reggie Bullock shooting them out the game. They're not worried about Taj Gibson. They're not worried about Nerlens Noel. And they also have nobody that can put any type of defensive pressure on Trey. So Trey on the defensive end doesn't have to expend that much energy because they're not going to give the ball to Reggie Bullock and say, Reggie Bullock, go run a pick to attack Trey. They lack the bodies to actually make Trey work on uh, defense. And they lack the creators to do anything besides that. Like, who's, because, a, who's the next second best ball is too stubborn. Players? They need to put Barrett in the post against Trey Young. Like, yeah, Barrett isn't, you know, Westbrook in the post or or, or Jason Kidd or something, but he's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and Trey Young is 6'1". Beat him I up, man. At all in this series, Barrett posting up uh, a Young. It, like, look at the way Simmons is, is posting up uh, Westbrook and Beal in the post. He's taking advantage of the fact that he's 6'10", 6'11", and those guys are 6'3". But for some reason, uh, Thibodeau hasn't made these adjustments to get Trey Young working. And when you have, whenever you have... Uh, players like a Trey Young, like a Jokic, guys that are gifted offensively but suck on defense. You need to make them work doubly hard on the defensive end, so that they are their legs are more tired offensively. That that three yeah. pointer, that jump shot becomes a lot more difficult when you've had to run around and defend in the post and come off screens and so on and so forth on the other side of the court. And the Knicks haven't made those adjustments in in this series. Facts, facts. Yeah, um, the problem is that. Thibodeau was just, he was always a defensive coach. And in terms of the offense, you can kind of just tell right now that he doesn't know what adjustments to make. So you're seeing Randall 
It's like at a certain point, Randall shouldn't be initiating the ball at the top of the key anymore. But with Tom Thibodeau, it's just like, listen, I rode Randall the whole way there. I'm going <laughs> to ride him until I guess we get knocked off the playoffs. And you can see it with teams in general. Like, I love how hard the Knicks played during the regular season. But mm-hmm. there's a little bit of fool's gold into like when you get to the playoffs, everyone plays hard. So that intensity that you get in the regular season that helps you pull off wins. The Hawks are playing just as hard as the Knicks right now. And the talent disparity is on like on display. And just in general, the Hawks have been able to make adjustments. And the Knicks right now, they just don't have any answers. Facts, facts. Um, yeah, I feel like, for, for, at least for me, the, the, the basketball purist in me wants a defence to win over offence in this series. That's <laughs> 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 not the case. It's, it's not happening right now, man. Listen, what they say is, baskets win you games, defence wins you titles. So um, what we're going to see probably is the Hawks finish it up today. Um, the, the Knicks just can't compute they just can't compete and i the first i watched the first quarter of game two um and i was like yeah the knicks this is yeah this is going to be really long for them because i think if i can remember off the top of my head the score was pretty even but it was just the ease of which the nick um the hawks were getting shots and how hard the knicks have to work for their points yeah um, and and i think it'll, in, in in free agency and in the off season they'll be looking to pick up somebody who can be probably a, a primary or secondary um, scorer to ease that burden on Julius Randle. And then they go again. This season has been a resounding success. Um, this was probably... At least we got that one win in the garden. And, and in 2032, we can come back and have another win. <laughs> <in the garden. laughs> yeah, it, it's been a resounding success for them. This will definitely leave a bit of a damper on it because of um, if if... Randall had gone out shooting, I think it would have left a kind of, oh, great. So we got Randall. We we, we know who our number one guy is. But mm. now, I think based on how he's performed, he's probably lost money at this point. And people are probably looking like, do I want to give this guy the max? Or I don't know if he's going to qualify for the super max because he's going to make an all NBA team. But do I want to give this guy the super max? Can he be my number one um, um, option? How far does my team go if he is our number one option? Um, it, it's something to be mindful of. And we'll watch that one closely in the off season. Um, the next series that I wanted to talk about, um, I want to talk about a certain man, a, 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 a Damian Lillard. The Speaking third. of lack of defense, let's come to the Nuggets versus Blazers series. <laughs> <laughs> this one ended after two overtimes, one hundred and forty-seven to one hundred and forty um, to the Nuggets, and with that, they take a three-two lead. Um, let, let's start with Dame. He went f- off for 55 points. He was 12 of 17 from free, uh, 70% for those of you counting, 17 of 24 from the field, and uh, 9 of 10 from the free throw line. So one of the more ridiculous stat lines. He also contributed with 10 assists, 6 rebounds, a steal, 3 blocks, and just a 1 turnover. Uh, Greg, um, how many better... I've been watching, have we seen than that? I've been watching basketball a hell of a long time and I have not seen yeah, someone have the, the fourth quarter and overtime that, that Lillard had. It, it, I'm I'm speechless. Like I'm gonna bring up the numbers here, uh, if you give me a, a second. So in the fourth quarter, Lillard went uh four or five, three of three from three. He hit the three to tie the game to send it into overtime. In the first overtime, Lillard went four or five, three or four from three. He hit another three to tie the game to send it into a second overtime. Uh, and then went two of three and one of two from three um, in the second overtime. And passed the ball to a wide open CJ McCollum, who was on the, the left three point uh left three point side, and CJ McCollum stepped out of bounds. <laughs> and I mean Lillard is hitting the shots of his life and his teammate can't even stay in bounds, but just to see Lillard at the end of that fourth quarter and the two overtime periods, the shots he was hitting was just ridiculous. I mean, I was watching the Laker game uh, and then simultaneously I switched to the to the Portland game because my timeline was going crazy. And at one point, Lillard had more points than the entire Lakers. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, but to speak kind of broadly on this series, this is just a series of who can score the ball more, uh, if, we're, if we're being quite honest. I think... Every game has seen someone hit 120 apart from maybe one. Uh, game four, the Blazers had 115. Um, and, you know, if you're, t- you're scoring 120 in the playoffs, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of defence really being played. Um, obviously, the Nuggets are down, um, you know, uh, with, with Murray. I see this series going six or seven. Um, I, ho- I hope seven. I want Portland to win in seven. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, just, it's just ridiculous. I think it's going to be interesting to see what type of game Lillard has in game in game six because this is back in Portland with that yeah. with that home crowd. Um, he he struggled in game four, only one of ten. But aside from that, he he's been on fire. And to be to be quite honest with you, like there's not very many players in the league who, when their back is against the wall, are going to go down okay. uh, without you know Facts. without putting up thirty shots. And he's one of those guys. Yeah, he has he has two walk off game seven playoff winners in in his career. Um, so we know the caliber of, of of shooter is one of the best shooters we've ever seen. And on the other side, we have Nikola Jokic who who put up one of his crazy stat lines: thirty eight points, eleven. Oh, yeah, he's, been, he's been balling. Nine assists, four blocks, one steal. He was a uh, not the most efficient night, but listen, um, I always say um, that when it gets to this stage, it's just about dying on your shield, basically. And don't well, be sitting there and what, talking about, oh, but, you know, he was 50% from the field and he was 30%. It's like, listen, you have to do everything you possibly do, can do to bring your team the win. And obviously, like we've mentioned, he didn't have Jamal Murray with him. Um, Rick, how far can you take these um, this, this Nuggets team? Obviously, we know the Blazers are historically one of the worst defensive teams ever. But say they win this series, um, where, where does uh, Jokic take his Nuggets? Nowhere. Uh, yeah. Good answer. <laughs> no, I'm not even. I don't think people understand how bad this Portland roster is. One, if you're Portland and you're fully healthy, you're losing to a starting backcourt of Facundo Compazzo and Austin Rivers. Like, I, and then what I saw, I, I'm sorry, I had to speak on this. The sh- Robert Covington at the end of the game. Have any of you guys ever seen him dunk on someone? No, <laughs> no, and in and in the last twenty seconds, they he tries really, to put up a poster. Yeah, he tries to put up a poster. I, I never, I've never seen something quite like what the Portland did on that day. And not even that, he's staring Jokic in his eyes, and you have one of the best shooters in the world right behind you, and you're staring Jokic in your eyes, and you're and you're trying to go double team Jokic, and not only does Jokic throw the pass to Michael Porter Jr. He thinks that instead of trying to close out to Michael Porter Jr., he jumps and tries to intercept the pass. And then he tries to turn in midair and falls on his ass. And Michael Porter Jr. hits a three. It felt like both teams are trying to lose this game. Because not only that, if you're the Denver Nuggets and you're up three, now how do you let Damian Lillard get a shot off twice? Foul him. Foul him. Just put him on the free throw line. Don't even let him get the shot off. In regulation, Lillard kind of flopped and kind of tried to draw a foul and they went to the table and and decided it wasn't a foul and then he caught the ball on the inbounds pass and went for another three and hit that three so then like the second one just a foul they had two opportunities even in the second overtime at one point when he was saucing up Facundo he turned his back to the basket as soon as I see Damian Lillard's jersey number I'm fouling him because he's not getting a shot up when he's turned around so that was my little tangent. But yeah, this this Denver team isn't good, man. They're just not good. Like uh, you can, starting backcourt play is important. Nikola Jokic is amazing, but this team in general, there's just a clear cap. Mm-hmm. And when I look at Phoenix, Phoenix, the Lakers are in our elite defense. Devin Booker is going to go from seeing hella guards wherever he goes and people in his jersey to being yep. in a high pick and roll with Joker. It's layup lines. It's layup lines. Facts, facts, and I, I think. Did you guys think it was a foul for his um, three in the first overtime? At the at the end of regulation, that one. Uh, not not end of, not end of regulation. End of end of the first overtime. Dame's three. Did you think that one was a foul? I I can't remember if I'm being honest, bro. I, I, he was calling I was, for it. I was at four in the morning. <laughs> yeah, he he was calling for it, but naturally, as he naturally would. But as I was watching it, I I thought that one was a foul, and obviously, oh, this this is the shot that he hit. Yeah, yeah, at the yeah, end yeah, of yeah, the time, yeah. tapped on the wrist. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that was a foul. Yeah, I, I, I thought that. Was if I remember foul. correctly, that was a foul. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I thought as well. Yeah, after agreeing, I guess um before we go on to the to the next game. Where next for the Blazers? If this is them, their roster maxed out, you've got CJ McCollum, you brought Carmelo Anthony um in, you've got Norm Powell from the you've got Norm Powell from the Raptors, you've got uh, Robert Covington, you've got Yusuf Nurkic. What next for them? If you can't beat uh, like you said, like you said, um Rick, uh Denver Nuggets missing their second best player, they're taking you six, seven games. In fact, you're losing the series as we speak. Surely it's time for them to blow it up. 
Yes. It's yeah, no, it's no been time. time. It's been time. Like you not want... yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Rick. I was gonna say just like when you're trading two first round picks for Robert Covington and you think that that's gonna save your defense, that should just let you know it's time to blow it up. Like at a certain point, they've been doing this for years now. Like how many playoff failures do you need before you realize that this team is capped? Yeah, I think it's difficult for them because I don't think Dame Lillard would accept that. Um, and in doing that, you possibly risk losing the face of your franchise. I think it's what we saw OKC do. And Westbrook's like, yeah, I'm not staying for a rebuild. I'm, I'm in my prime 30-31. Um, so as long as you've got one of the premier guards in the league, you want to be trying. But yeah, even if they're not blowing it up, they need to be moving some pieces because with the defence that they currently have, it's just not going to work. You've got Nurkic, who's, whose um, idea is to get really aggressive on Jokic, and you can have what he had in game four where he was really, really good, but he's fouled out of three of the other games. <laughs> it's like CJ and Dame aren't going to pro- provide any perimeter defense. You come to the interior, and yeah, Robert Covington's a good team defender, but he's not really a one good one-on-one defender. But if you're a good team defender and your other teammates aren't really good defenders either, yeah, the, the, the sum of its parts doesn't quite work. And like... We said, Greg, baskets win you games, defense wins you championships. He's not going anywhere with, with this with this roster. So it'll be interesting to see what their front office do um, because the next team that I'm going to talk about could could do with a wing scorer in the mold of a CJ McCollum. And the, we come across... <laughs> we the, come worst across place to be, the worst place to be in the NBA is mediocrity. And they yeah. finished... The Blazers finished sixth in the West this year. They finished eighth in the West last year. Third the year before that, uh, third the year before that, uh, eighth the year before that. So they're just they're they're still in the playoff contention, but they're not making conference finals and uh, an NBA finals, and they're not a lottery team. And they need to either pick one or the other. And I think and pick one struggle. Yeah, when you say again, pick one struggle. <laughs> yeah, when you when you when you got your two best players as six three guards you're not really going to do any damage in the NBA today because you need an elite wing. You you, do, you, just, you just have to have one. And even over the last maybe two couple of years, you could say you probably need an all-star caliber big as well, a power forward or a center to to, to, to help alongside that. So if I was the Blazers, uh, blow it up and trade McCollum. Dame has made it clear time and time again, he doesn't want to leave. But, um, you know, if they do blow it up and this is a lottery team, then... You know, to, to to quote the Joker when he says to see how uh, how loyal a hungry dog really is. So it'd be interesting to see, interesting to see what happens if that uh, if that does come to fruition. Yeah, yeah, you you make a really good point there. Um, I guess we'll keep our eyes on that because yeah, going out to this Denver team will be really really embarrassing if I'm being honest with you guys. So let's go across to um, the Utah Jazz and the Memphis Grizzlies series. The Jazz lead three uh, one, but I found this series thoroughly enjoyable. Um, for those who didn't know him before, it's definitely introduced Jar Morant to the to the mainstream. But what I wanted to start with was um, by asking you, Rick, about the Jazz. And obviously, they finished as the number one seeds in the in the West. But how legit are they? Are they just up against the poor Grizzly side, or do you see um, championship caliber in that in that side? Oh, I think they're very legit. I don't know necessarily about championship caliber, but one thing you notice with the Jazz is that. A lot of people look at them and say, okay, that three-point shooting isn't sustainable. But they fail to recognize the amount of dribble, the dribble penetration that they get. So Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell being the dynamic guards they are, they generate great open three-point shots. Like, it's not like they're taking step back and sidestep threes. They're generating clean, wide-open looks. And you're going to see guys like Bogdanovich, who even when he catches the ball, he can get things off the dribble himself. And Rudy Gobert, I know people don't like Rudy Gobert. But he's actually been very, very effective. And people don't realize like that team and the rim protection for them is important because they don't really have a great defender on that team. So the main thing that's great with the Jazz is that Donovan Mitchell is better than a lot of people think. Like people, people think Donovan Mitchell is good, but I don't think they notice how good he is. And I think that they have like, if it's going to be them and the Clippers, I think people are going to pick the Clippers, but I would not be surprised if the Jazz won that. Like they've been looking really good. They, ha- they haven't been blowing the je- the Grizzlies out, but one thing about the Grizzlies is that they're a team that don't quit. So a team like that, like you're not going to be able to just like beat a dead horse kind of. Like they're going to come back every single time. But what I'm seeing from the Jazz is that in late game situations with their dribble penetration, 
they're just able to generate really, really, really good looks. So that's been the most impressive thing thus far. I wanna see if it can carry over because looking at that bracket, I worry about the Clippers' ability to rotate and defend, which is, it sounds weird given their personnel, but I haven't necessarily been impressed with their backline rotations. And one thing the Jazz do is that they start swinging the ball and penetrating and that gets you in like that gets you right into direct rotation. So, yeah, I think I think they're a legit team. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. how the Clippers got beat in those first two games was off of penetration and kicking to for open three point shooters. Uh, Rick makes a good point about Gobert and and defense. Obviously, he's you know their best defensive player, one of the best uh, defenders in the league. But outside of Gobert, who is really playing defense on that on that Utah Jazz team? And, you know, the Grizzlies are not a good team, ninth seed in the West, uh, but they are putting uh, Gobert in the pick-and-roll action. And as Draymond Green said on, on Inside the NBA, they're forcing him to defend where he doesn't want to defend. So if you're talking about this Jazz team versus a Clippers team, and if Ty Lue is able to, to, to recognise this and make these adjustments, if you start putting Gobert in pick-and-roll, like non-stop, how, how Luke has been doing to Zubacs, where are the other defenders on this Jazz team that's going to step up and fill the void and protect the rim and protect the perimeter it's going to be interesting to see if these two teams do meet you know what what these uh what this chess match is is, is how it's going to start out yeah yeah you, you you make valid points about them and i think yeah like you said rick i think the shoot the three-point shooting is pretty sustainable maybe we won't see them hitting 50 percent um from free like i think they've done in a couple of games in this series but you're expecting high high 30s low 40s based on how they play they've got the number one and number two uh six man of the year contenders in Joe Ingles, who's really underrated, like like Reem said in the last episode, is able to do a little bit of everything. And you've got um, Jordan Clarkson, who, who's just a bucket, really, isn't he? So, um, yeah, I think they're going to creep up on people, really. And I also agree, Reed Donovan Mitchell. I'm not a fan of his game, but I respect his game. Um, and I think, yeah, for sure, he's better than people anticipate. And the playoffs is where you make your reputation, man. Um, there's so many games in a regular season. You probably just about have enough time to keep up with your own team, plus maybe a, a handful of the league's other top players. Um, and Utah Jazz probably wouldn't be high on your list of teams to watch. I, I gave them a watch just because I wanted to see if they were real or, or not. But um, the playoffs will essentially show people who you really are. So um, on the other side, people like Julius Randle, where guys were like, nah, that can't be Julius Randle. He's not that good. I watched him at the Lakers. I watched him at the Pelicans. Um, and they probably didn't catch much of him at the Knicks. Seeing the series he's had at the Haw against the Hawks, I told you, I told you that Julius Randle isn't the truth. <laughs> but um, on the other end, for people who um, underrate uh, Donovan Mitchell, um, this is going to be a, a, a welcoming party. Wel welcome to the Utah Jazz uh, show. And um, yeah, just, just yeah. talking about the... Yeah, go on. I was just going to say that, and like, I know we're probably going to get on to the Clippers, but in terms of like a potential series between them and with Rudy Gobert, the way to beat the Jazz and teams like that is that you have to be able to get downhill. So with the Grizzlies, they've been able to put Rudy Gobert in pick and roll, and they've been able to even score sometimes. But the problem is that at a certain point, you're not getting all the way to the basket and you're trading two for threes. Like it's it's not just the math, but it's, it's in terms of that, like in order to beat the Jazz, you're really going to have to get downhill and into go bear. You're gonna have to get into foul trouble because like the Grizzlies are putting him in situations and they're getting buckets, but toward the end of game, when go bear is in the paint, he's affecting and changing shots because they're not able to just finish right over him. So that's really the thing that I, that's their one weakness is go bear, but you need the right team to be actually able to constantly exploit it. And so, take yeah. advantage of that. And I want to talk about the, the Grizzlies because um, what we, I feel like we're looking at is is potentially um, the beginnings of another great Grizzlies team. Those of you who've been watching um, NBA for a number of years will remember the grit and grind Grizzlies, Zach Randolph, um, Mark Gasol, Tony Allen, um, Mike Connolly as well. Um, so it looks like they've they've got a real star in Ja Morant. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. I know has had a lot of injuries, but looks like he has the tools. Don't know what they're going to do in terms of giving him that next big contract. Uh, Dylan Brooks has had a stellar series as well. Um, when you look at the when you look at the Grizzlies guys, um, what what are they missing to take them up that next level? A consistent score. They don't necessarily have a guy that you can consistently look on their team and say, okay, he kind of takes the pressure off. They have Jaw, but I don't think Jaw's 
necessarily ready, even though he's doing a great job in this series. I think you kind of seeing the toll kind of is taking its time. He's starting to have a couple of turnovers late and in general, they just need a better consistent scorer on that team. They don't necessarily have enough scoring and enough outside creation. Yeah. Offen- offensively, they're like the paces of the West in the sense that they have decentish players that are going to score 17, 18, 19 a game. But in a league where teams are pretty much scoring 120 plus a night, you really need a 25 point per game guy that's going to, in order for your team to actually do any damage. So offensively, look for the the continued development of John Moran and Dylan Brooks. Um, I think that's really what takes them to the next level, lets them compete for uh, a sixth, seventh, eighth seed uh, in the West. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Neither of you mentioned Jaron Jackson Jr. So I'm guessing what not fans or you need to see more. Need to I'm see. I'm high more. on him, but I need to see more. I think the biggest thing that I'm upset with is that if you see he fouls a lot because his core isn't strong at all. So what you're saying is that the Jazz players are kind of going right into him, and when your core isn't strong, and you're trying to keep your hands straight up, and you get hit in your stomach. His hands are coming straight down. So you're seeing him kind of flop, and you're seeing him do all this stuff because in general, I think that as a big man, one. He just came back from injury, so I'm going to take a lot on him. He's basically had, like, what, 15 games before the playoffs? So he's he's in hell right now. He's getting put to the ringer. But in general, I need to see him become stronger this offseason in his midsection, and I need to see him kind of just, like, focus on a part of his game to excel at. I don't necessarily know exactly what he does well right now. He's, like, doing a couple things well, but I look at the way he finishes, and he doesn't finish very strong. He shoots well, but... All in all, his game needs to be a lot more polished. But I think with this offseason, he'll have that time to get stronger and to really polish his game. Yeah, sounds good. He he does a little bit of everything, but doesn't excel at anything. And just quickly, let's have a quick chat. And um, we mentioned his injury at the top of the pod, Joel Embiid, um, the Washington Wizards and Philadelphia 76ers series. So those of you who are not in the know, uh, in game four, Joel Embiid went off injured um, at the end of the first quarter. Um where they'd basically been beating the Wizards handily in every single game. And the Wizards were able to pull out a, a win uh, behind the, a, a truly bizarre stat line. From <laughs> <laughs> a truly b- bizarre stat line from um, Sir, Russell West- <laughs> Sir Russell Westbrook. Um, he, he damaged the uh, 76ers to the tune of 3 of 19 from the field. So you're not hearing that wrong. 3 of 19, which is about 16%. Zero of four from three. Um, he was really good from the free throw line. Uh, 13 of 16. He also pulled up 21 rebounds, 14 assists, and he pulled out uh, 19 points. Um, it actually shows that in the uh, 17 or so minutes, I believe, or uh, no, sorry, is it the 97 minutes or so um, that um, Embiid hasn't played? Um, the 76 is a minus 17 against the Wizards. So with him being out tonight, um, are we anticipating another Wizards win? I know Russ is playing on a dodgy ankle. Are we anticipating another Wizards win? Or should the rest of the 76ers, Ben Simmons and the crew, have enough to, to see it out? Because they're missing uh, Bertans as well now. The Wizards are. He's yeah. out for three to six weeks or months or something. Uh, I can't even remember. But he's, he's out for the rest of the playoffs, pretty much. Um I mean, I wish the Wizards would just give up. Elongating <laughs> 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 the series, which is over, man. Just do the honourable thing and go away. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Westbrook go berserk again. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing about the Sixers is they struggle to generate offence so much. And then to not have Embiid, where he's going to give you 25 to 30 a game. And not only that, when he gets doubled, he's become a great passer. So he's able to pass out to open three-point shooters or pass out to perimeter guys who are able to swing the ball around uh, to open shooters, Danny Green, Curry, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, the, the, the Sixers are going to struggle offensively in this game. So, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's going to be an ugly game. I don't think either team is going to shoot very well from the field, but um, I, I can't call it. I think I'll lean Sixers in this game, and if they don't win in this game, then definitely the next game. I think you get a more aggressive Ben Simmons, which is going to be necessary. To me, if I'm Doc Rivers, I have to tell Ben Simmons, like, I need you to be aggressive starting now because we're going to need it even more in the next round. So We've been saying that, that for that four years. Bro, listen. Hey, I mean, listen, I'm not going to do the Ben Simmons slander because in this series, he's actually performed really well. People that compare him to Giannis, though, they just need to stop it. Like, at a certain point, 
the mental difference between someone that can attack the basket and someone that does it relentlessly, it's it's there's a big difference. So if Ben Simmons can just he just needs to up that level of aggression in all honesty. Just get downhill. Even if you're not necessarily like doing dunking on everybody and attacking layups, getting downhill opens up driving lanes and it just allows him the ability to actually use his passing ability. So yeah. He gets downhill, I think they win. And and also to make some free throws wouldn't help. Because yeah, his free throw shooting this series has been hor- horrific. It's been terrible. I think he started o- over like, 10, over 11 from the line in this series. He's shooting like Luca. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's quite the enigma of a player. He, he's definitely a net positive, but sometimes I just need you to go and get me a basket, man. Um, because he's not, he's, he's not playing bad per se. He had his, his was it 15, point 50, 15 rebound, 15 assist game. Uh, obviously, we know his defense is stellar. He's not playing bad. He's just playing awkward. Yeah, he's just generally an awkward fit. Um, but he tends to do better when Embiid is out. Yeah. So t- t- today is a day for him to 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 do that and carry them um home in 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 five games. Cheeky gentleman sweep. Um, so with that, I want to thank you both for your time, Greg, Rick. Always a pleasure. Um, yeah, if you're listening to thank this, you. join the conversation. Use the Lakers hashtag. Lakers and seven. Lakers and seven. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever you say, Chief. And we'll see you guys on Sunday. Peace. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.